630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. So could it be Edmonton and Toronto after all? Still no Hub City announcement from the NHL, but they continue to talk about it. Also, negotiations ongoing between the league and the Players Association about extending the collective bargaining agreement. That would take it through 24-25. Already a couple years left on it, so they would look to extend it. They could be talking about the salary cap for the next two seasons. But yeah, the Hub Cities certainly at the forefront as well. Phases three and four of the return to play plan. Phase three is training camp tentatively set for July 10th. That may go back to the 13th simply because it's a, it's a, it's a Monday and to give a little bit more time for everybody to get going. And then phase four actual competition. Frank Saravelli, senior hockey reporter with TSN posted this on Twitter for the first time in more than a month. Sounds like Vegas is no longer a front runner to host an NHL hub city. Spike in COVID numbers in Vegas appears to have put a damper on their bid. As TSN Bob McKenzie reported, very possible both hub cities are in Canada, Toronto and Edmonton. And of course, Frank also followed up with a disclaimer that this could all change very quickly. And we've certainly seen evidence of that over the last week and a half. Look, this was all supposed to be announced ideally in the NHL's mind last Thursday to go with Vegas and Vancouver. Well, the situation changed in Vancouver because the provincial health authority said, you know, if a player tests positive, we'd like that series to be shut down temporarily. The NHL didn't want to go for that. So Vancouver is out and now Vegas, which, you know, as Frank wrote, and we've talked about a lot, has been a front runner for weeks here. The COVID numbers in Vegas, much, much higher than they are in Edmonton and Toronto. And hey, in Edmonton and Alberta, we'd love them to be zero. I, I, we're not going to get numbers down to zero for a while. Who knows? Maybe ever. we got to see how this pandemic plays out. But uh, we're certainly quite low in Edmonton and low per capita compared to uh, most other places in Canada, North America, and really the world for that matter when you're looking at large cities. So perhaps, perhaps we will get uh, the Stanley Cup awarded and played for in Canada. Don't know if a Canadian team would win it, but it appears now that's the latest. That That is uh, at least the latest for which teams, which cities are the front runners. Okay. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Canada Day tomorrow. So I'm sure many of you have the day off or might be planning something a little different for tomorrow. Hope you're doing well no matter what you're up to. My name is Reed Wilkins. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Ched. 780-496-0063 is the number to both call and text. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. Last name, as I've said before, like Dominique, though no relation. We did have Dominique Wilkins on the show about three years ago. It wasn't bad. And uh, you can email inside sports at 630chet.com. Jack Michaels is coming up tonight. John Shannon for a little bit more on the NHL discussions and negotiations. We'll reconnect with Tanner, the bulldozer, Bozer, local UFC fighter whose career continues to climb. He had another victory a few days ago, so we'll get the update there. And we'll also get the latest on the Brick Invitational. Usually we'd be uh, bringing you scores and letting you know how Team Brick Alberta is doing. The 2020 version of the tournament was supposed to start yesterday at West Edmonton Mall. It's not happening this year. Craig Stiles is the chairman of the Brick Invitational, and he will tell us how they've dealt with the pandemic and adjustments they're making and already look ahead to uh, next year. No doubt they've been uh, working hard to make sure the tournament can go off 
next year. Now, as we've gone through the pandemic here, and NHL players have been away from their teams, away from the game, we know that it's not unanimous that everybody is just ready to dive back in and play a tournament and award the Stanley Cup no matter what. A lot of different opinions about that from from the players and the player association. Eric Angles is a senior hockey columnist with Sportsnet.ca. He's based in Montreal, and in recent days, he has reached out to many players uh, under the condition of anonymity to find out where they are at. And for that update, we welcome Eric Ingles to Inside Sports. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. And I I usually start with just sort of the the life question before we do the sports. Everybody's dealing with personal and professional challenges and, and adjustments. How's it been on your end? You know what? I have no complaints and largely because I have a great wife and we have a great relationship. And that's, um, you know, if it wasn't tested before over the previous, uh, how long has it been now? It's 2020, eight years. Then uh, it was certainly going to be put to the test and being locked up with each other for a number of months and working side by side and all the things that come with that. And, um, you know, we've really just been thriving, inspiring each other, pushing each other to get really healthy we've taken the time to work out a lot and and uh, really clean up our diets so um you know uh, there's a lot of downside involved in this pandemic a lot of hurt a lot of concern uh, a lot of worry a lot of uh, of things that you know are out of our control the things that have been in our control um we've really been on top of and managed well and um I like to think that there are many other people out there like us that hopefully will emerge from this um, better off than when we came in. Yeah, well said. Well, good for you and your wife for for keeping each other motivated. That's good to hear. We are... You know, apparently inching towards a return toward of, of the National Hockey League. It's been a long and winding road, and you've really done some extensive canvassing of players, and uh, I guess a lot of a lot of different stops along that road when it comes to player opinion. What are some of the things that really jumped out at you from those you spoke with? Well, I can only speak to what what came back to me from the people I spoke to, and I should say that I was reaching out under the guys that I had heard that maybe more players were concerned about returning to play than than we were generally assuming. Um, and in asking those questions, it seemed as though invariably the answer that came back to me is that that was the case. Um, and and the particular players that I touched base with spoke about their own concerns and the fact that. You know, they're giving up their summers to come back and potentially risk injury or risk uh, contracting the virus in an environment they don't know much about, unfortunately. Um, I think they're frustrated about the flow of information and it being relatively and and logically slow um, and not necessarily getting out to the masses of players because... I think, you know, you look at these small committees and the job they were tasked with to create a return to play plan. um, And the last thing they needed to do was fight a war um, on the external front of having to battle against perceptions, getting blown out of proportion based on things that were discussed, but not even necessarily put on the table. Um, You know, it's easy for rumor to proliferate um, when you have upwards of 800 people informed on every detail that they're working on. So I don't think that there was anything, you know, bad faith related here. I I just think there's a natural frustration from the players that they just don't have all the answers. 
And um, we're getting closer to July 10th or potentially July 13th if they're pushing it back three days in the start of training camp. And for as long as we go between now and the time where a proposal is actually sitting in front of the players, um, you know, it, the, the frustration mounts that they don't have all the information at their disposal to make an informed choice. And the reason why it's a frustrating situation for them is because after months of the NHL and a small committee putting this plan together and, and dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, the pressure and the onus will ultimately be on the players to greenlight this whole scenario. So they want to be informed and they're frustrated about the fact that they just don't have enough to make the kind of decision that they would feel comfortable with right now. How much have you heard, because you know I've had a couple of players sort of mention this to me, that okay, you know, cool that we want to hand out the Stanley Cup and if my team wins it and my name gets put on it, I'm not going to stop them from doing it. But at the same time, are we willing to throw off the hockey calendar for another year by delaying the start of next year into November or even December and then that messes up next summer and next offseason and free agency and the draft and trades and all that kind of stuff? How much of a, a sentiment was that coming back to you? Um, it's in there it's, and it's prominent. And, and it's prominent for obvious reasons, not the least of which is that, forget about November and December, we're really talking about January to July and jamming 82 games and playoffs in in that amount of time um, likely means eliminating the bye week for that season. It likely means more to more, more and more back-to-back situations um, and committing to a travel schedule that at this stage seems highly difficult to wrap your mind around given where we're at with the virus and the pandemic. Um, you know, people say these guys get paid millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands in some of their cases to play a, a game for fun. And, and, you know, the implications are shouldn't be so severe that everyone should be so up in arms about this or that. Um, the players have a finite window to make their careers happen. Um, they risk a lot under normal circumstances in terms of their careers and their lives and their well-being and their futures. Uh, and the last thing that they want to do is take on an inordinate amount of more risk. And, and there is that much more in that scenario where you're jamming games closer together, where you're eliminating uh, time off, where you're trying to get everything in. And when you're eliminating summer months, we're talking about creatures of habit, we're talking about how vital those summer months are for them to recuperate properly, for them to train properly, for them to be at the peak of their abilities and earn the maximum amount of dollars that they possibly can based on their performances. So, you know, these concerns uh, that are being aired, uh, you know, even if they come from a select few that I've spoken to, uh, I think they're, they're more widespread and prevalent, and I think they're fully understandable. Uh, I think, you know, we'd have, to, we'd have to think of the players as mindless robots uh, to assume that they wouldn't have these concerns. Uh, it was nice to actually get a few of them on the phone and, and have them at least speak to those concerns because it's clear they're feeling them. Yeah. Eric Ingalls joining us tonight at Inside Sports, senior columnist with Sportsnet covering the Montreal Canadiens, and he's telling you about talking to players around the league about the, uh, the return-to-play plan. Now, ultimately, though, do you think the players decide to play just because that's the culture? You suck it up and you play. Yeah, I think there's two factors at hand. One is the one you just mentioned, and to just outright dismiss what hockey what hockey culture is, even if we'd like to see it change, even if you know um, that 
putting on a brave face and playing through anything thing, you know, we'd, we'd like to somewhat get away from that and change that. It is at its core the way all these players have grown up and that doesn't just change overnight. That's that's one thing. The second thing I wanted to say is, is that what is going to happen is that inevitably the NHL and the select committee of the NHLPA are going to finalize their plans for return to play. And all that information that players have been pining for, all the kind of missing pieces, will be at their disposal. And the hope, obviously, has to be that many of their concerns will be alleviated. You're asking me for my gut feeling, even if uh, I had one player suggest that as many as 75% of the players uh, are not too keen on returning to play. I do believe they will sign up, and I do believe they will return to play this summer. All right. Yeah, I, I think I'm with I'm with you there for sure. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I got one more for you, Eric. You, you know, you're in Montreal. The draft lottery was Friday. It was won by the undiscovered team, as I've been calling it, just because I like to work in the Star Trek reference every once in a while. But uh, <laughs> you know, tell us about... I mean, look, the Canadians were that... You know, that one team that kind of got that, that 12th seed in the East and weren't having a, a great season, but uh, could still possibly be alive for that number one pick if they don't get by the Penguins. Correct. Uh, and, you know, at worst, if they don't get by the Penguins and they don't win that number one overall pick, they'll draft ninth overall. And, you know, for a guy like Mark Bergevin who said that, you know, you, you, you play those bad seasons and those tough seasons, um, and at the end of the, the, you know, the only reward you get is, is drafting. Uh, that's the price you paid is to, to acquire a higher pick and potentially dig your way out of that situation. Now, it's tough, obviously, for the seven teams uh, that finish at the bottom of the league and don't have a chance to draft first overall. Overall. Um, but from the intrigue standpoint and, and what went down last Friday, I thought it was extremely exciting. I thought it was a great marketing initiative from the NHL and a, a league that has traditionally been um, abhorrent in that category. <laughs> they, they really actually nailed it. You know, people are going to hate this idea. Um, people do hate it, they hate the way it played out. Some people absolutely love it, some people think it's chaotic and crazy. But one way or the other, no matter how you feel about it, you're talking about it. And that's what the NHL needs right now. They haven't had games in months. Uh, there's potential that they might not have more games for months. And uh, their decision to go ahead with the first phase of the draft lottery on June 26th uh, with the idea in mind that it could could result in such a chaotic scenario as it did, especially with you know, one of those eight teams, or those eight teams, I should say, having a 25% chance, roughly, of getting the first overall pick. It, 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 you know, I, it, we can't call it a likelihood, but it was certainly a strong possibility that it could happen. And uh, here we are. And I think it's exciting. And from the Canadians' perspective, um, they have to be extremely excited about, A, the prospect of getting their young players some valuable, meaningful game experience, potentially this summer, uh, and then maybe gracefully bowing out in that series against the Penguins, because they were beat by the better team and, and they end up with that top 10 pick that they suffered for for the most of the season and potentially number one overall which could absolutely change the entire direction of their franchise yeah for sure well eric uh, you know great reporting great insight into what you found out by talking to a bunch of nhl players appreciate you coming on inside sports tonight i hope we can chat down the road have a great canada day my friend okay you too guys take care Eric Ingalls from Sportsnet.ca, senior columnist based in Montreal. Really interesting stuff. Talked to a lot of players in uh, recent days, and you heard him speak about some of the uh, reservations the players had. 
you know, playing into the summer, messing up next season, uh, the danger of uh, injury or illness as they move through this tournament, all those kinds of things. But as he said, and I, and I would agree with them, if if they decide to, to play, I, I mean, they're going to suck it up and play. That's that's the hockey mentality. And I'm sure, you know, they do want to play. They want to finish the season, but they realize it's not ideal circumstances. Again, the story today, or well, one of the many stories today, it appears Edmonton and Toronto, now the favorites, to be hub cities for an NHL return. We don't expect anything official announced during the show or tonight, but maybe tomorrow or at least by the end of week for sure. Uh, collective bargaining agreement negotiations are now bundled into this as well. We'll discuss that more with Jack Michaels and John Shannon as we move along tonight. To reach out, it is 780-496-0063 to call or text. We're back after the break. Tuning in tonight, it's 625. Jack Michaels coming up after the 630 news. Always a blast to talk with Jack. Canada Day tomorrow, and that always makes me think of great Canadian sporting moments, which always makes me think of this. Love that. The late, great Don Whitman on the call, July 27th, 1996 in Atlanta. Donovan Bailey wins the gold medal in the men's 100 meters. I I think I play that every Canada Day or the show before Canada Day because that is my one of my all time favorites uh, sporting moments for Canadians, certainly non hockey. Cody Jansen is back at the uh, 630 Ched broadcasting compound. Cody, like for me. That was so huge because in 88, we thought Ben Johnson won and then he didn't win and he's disgraced and all that kind of stuff happens. And then Bailey doesn't only win it, he wins it in the United States. And then the next weekend, the relay team takes down the United States. One of my favorite Canadian sports memories. It's impressive. I mean, it's just such a, a rare feat for track and field Canada. That's why I think it really sticks out to me. Yeah, I, I mean, a, a sport in which Canada, you know, there there were great athletes, but often didn't didn't win medals. And, and for Bailey to do it and do it the way he did, and I, I love just going to watch that race on on YouTube and hearing Don Whitman call it and Bailey, you know, with the the finger in the air for number one. And plus, it was a world record. And now you you probably uh, don't quite have a memory of seeing that live. No, I do not. Watch it on YouTube, everybody. It's a lot of fun. Speaking of fun, Jack Michaels, when we get back to Inside Sports. about a month from now back into game action qualifying round series against the Chicago Blackhawks the latest speculation tonight is that it will be Edmonton and Toronto as the hub cities for the NHL returning to play now look 
Nothing has been confirmed. We've uh, heard things about cities being very close or on the verge of being selected before, and then things have changed. So we have to recognize that. But it appears Vegas has dropped back from being the front runner because of the COVID cases. Edmonton and Toronto have stayed in the mix, and uh, the COVID cases there it's certainly much lower than Las Vegas and uh, and uh, relatively low compared to many parts of the country and other NHL cities. So that's where we're at with that. Don Iveson, the mayor of uh, Edmonton, asked this afternoon about the uh, Edmonton and Toronto rumors of being the front runners. It's exciting prospect, but uh, it's hard to comment on on speculation or or rumor at this point. Obviously, the situation in the United States is is tragically and and distressingly rapidly deteriorating so if there's two remaining canadian markets where um though case counts are rising they're rising slowly and our public health and public um um, health care systems are are responding ably and and canadians uh, specifically torontonians and, and edmontonians are um we're, we're not often united um uh, between toronto and edmonton but if if we're all being good canadians it'd be a, a great canada day um reward uh, to this country and to these cities for the work that uh, that our citizens have done to keep counts low, uh, to have the opportunity to, um, subject to all of the right restrictions for their own protection and for public protection, uh, welcome the NHL uh, for Hockey Night in Canada, eh? All right, that's Edmonton Mayor Don Iverson. So... Of course, he can't comment for sure, but the speculation is out there, appears to be ramping up. As I mentioned earlier, and John Shannon's going to be on the show between 7 and 7.30, the CBA negotiations for an extension are tied into this as well. Elliot Friedman has reported that could include NHL players going back to the Olympics in 2022. So a lot being sorted out, but the most immediate of all this uh, would be the hub cities and a little more information on the return to play. And if the Oilers do indeed return to play, you'll be hearing a lot more of this. Here's Cassie down low. McDavid breaks in and scores! Beautiful drag move to backhand to forehand and he slipped it inside the post and beyond the right skate of Connor Hellebuck. I believe that is the most recent goal scored by the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Jack, as we bring Jack Michaels onto the show, uh, uh, Kellen pulled that clip so he will know for sure, but I'm pretty sure that was McDavid's goal late in the second period of what turned out to be a loss to the Jets on uh, March 11th. I think 4-2 was the final on that one. Right, McDavid's 34th goal of the season as it turned out the last goal the Oilers would score of the regular season before the pause. And, uh, you know, I... I'm, I'm like the rest of creation. I, I'm cautiously optimistic that, uh, you know, not only the National Hockey League will return to play, but for the benefit of the city in which I live, uh, that Edmonton will be one of the two hub cities. I would say this. I, I think there needs to be, you know, kind of a, a distinction made between, you know, being good Canadians as opposed to being good Americans. I, I think the way the countries have been led at the top, this is where I go top on down. Uh, I, as an American, I am very sensitive to the fact and very convinced of the fact that we're there different leadership in the United States right now. We might have different outcomes in terms of this uh, recent spiking of cases. I, I feel like from the get-go, and no matter your political affiliation, but from the get-go, I believe Canada has had stronger leadership at the top. And as a result, uh, 
you know, had better numbers and figures and, and uh, you know, with, with respect to those COVID cases. And I, I think that's a really important distinction is I think in a, in a situation where you have a pandemic, uh, leadership matters. And I think Canada has benefited from much stronger leadership at the top. Well, and, and speaking of the leadership in the National Hockey League with Gary Bettman and, and Bill Daly, they have always said, we want to go to a region where the COVID numbers are, are under control or, or quite low and where we're not taking resources away from the health system by performing tests or perhaps caring for a player or a team personnel member who who gets sick along the along the way. And and, and I mean, right now, I mean, we're lucky in Edmonton uh, and, you know, tr- obviously tragic for the people who have passed away, but a relatively low number of deaths and not a lot of people in hospital or ICU. And Toronto has been trending in that direction as well. So, I mean, this is really... Uh, you know, Daly and Bettman, as, as they're involved in this, they they got to put, uh, they got to, they got to walk the walk after talking the talk. That if they have regions where it's under control and and Vegas isn't, regardless of what side of the border it's on, they got to, I think, honor what they said earlier. Well, I think they also have to continue to listen to their players. I think up until this point, the National Hockey League and its players have done a nice job of working in concert toward both the CBA extension and a return-to-play situation without airing much of you know, the laundry that comes along with that in public as opposed to the other three leagues. I mean, for the last quarter century, the National Hockey League and its players Rightly or wrongly, but but with some accuracy, have been called out for everything from work stoppages to how the lottery has gone on. But I think in this particular pandemic, as opposed to the other three major sports leagues, I think the National Hockey League has handled it quite nicely. I, I think they've done a good job in terms of, of kind of keeping public proclamations to a minimum. And I know this because I get questions all the time. Hey, when are we going to hear some news? Well, I think the National Hockey League and its players have done a nice job of keeping those discussions internal and not committing to a plan or a return to play, whether it be city or format, before you know they have all the facts. And by waiting this long, and, and what's the rush, quite frankly? I mean, for the cities, for sure, it's, it's, it's nice for Edmonton. And obviously, I live here, so I'm rooting for Edmonton to be one of the hub cities. But it's not like, you know, you're going to get fans there. It's, it's, it's certainly um, a nice reflection of the job that Edmonton and the nation has done in, in providing a, a safe hub city environment for the National Hockey League to return but I think more than anything, it's 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 been a situation where you didn't have to make a commitment, and and now where where you have to walk things back, Reed. I mean, it is quite possible that, for instance, the NBA might have to walk back this plan in Orlando. I mean, right now in Central Florida, the beaches are still open. Uh, that's you know, and that's uh, even South Florida has has closed its beaches. Right now, the beach is still open in Central Florida for the Fourth of July weekend. So. I think by not committing and not, you know, getting involved in too many, and I know our Timmy Panarin, you know, had, had a few comments, but by and large, I think the show of togetherness by the league and its players has, has demonstrated the fact that the league is listening to its players. And I think the momentum shift with now Edmonton being in the mix to be a hub city 
you know, as a front runner, I mean, Reed, I think that's a reflection of the league continuing to listen to the players like the other leagues are, are starting to do a little bit in terms of having to listen. With some players opting out, the players are saying, look, what you're saying, Reed, if it's about health and safety and I'm putting my career on the line here, I, I want to go to the safest environment possible. And if, and like you said, if that's honestly the number one priority, then Edmonton should have been a slam dunk all along. I've never gotten the feeling that there was anything wrong or askew about Edmonton's bid. It's just Edmonton has had to play second fiddle with these other cities and basically allow those other cities to take themselves out of it, whether it be increased figures or whether it be a fundamental disagreement between health services and the National Hockey League, which I think is what went down in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, I referenced that earlier that Vancouver, B.C. Uh, was basically saying, okay, if, if there are positive tests, we might want to shut down the series, and the NHL doesn't want to do that. They want to remove the player from the team environment, test everybody else, and then and then and then keep going. So I, I assume you you just you know the player with uh, with COVID would would have to be on the DL until he tested negative. So anyway, yeah, it, it's it's looking good for Edmonton. Obviously, an ongoing story, and we'll keep you updated here on six thirty. Chet Oilers play by play. Voice Jack Michaels joining us on Inside Sports. Okay, let's uh, hit on some other topics for fun here. Uh, you are from the U.S. You grew up in Pennsylvania. I'm going to have have this one for you, Jack. The biggest difference between Canada Day and the Fourth of July. Well, that's a good question. Well, you have never paused that long when I have asked you. Yeah, anything. that's a, that's a very good question, Reed, and this shows that this. It is a live show and that we don't cheat and give each other topics or ideas beforehand. I would say this. It's, it's, the difference to me is, is somewhat the same in what I see of the two Thanksgivings here. The 4th of July becomes a, a kind of a weekend and kind of, a, you know, when it falls on a, like, let's say a Wednesday or a Thursday, that's pretty much it for the week. Uh, it turns into a four and five day weekend, the fourth of July. I, I get the feeling Canada Day, like it's Thanksgiving, is is more of a day or two. I, I feel like Canada should rework its Thanksgiving a little bit to make it more of a, a four day celebration and, and Canada Day, like I said, I mean, uh Canada Day this week will start on Wednesday. I mean from what I've heard, at least, you know, talk around the neighborhood in which I live you know, people are going to work on Thursday. In the United States, you know, if the 4th of July falls on a Wednesday or Thursday, good luck trying to get someone in the office on Friday. It's not happening. I mean, people right. are out of there. And they're usually out of there the noon, you know, noon of the 3rd, if it's the middle of the week. They're gone, and the rest of the week is a wash. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a fair comment. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Canada Day's... Wednesday, I mean, I assume, and, and look, we realize that in, in this challenging environment, unfortunately, some people aren't working or working at a normal pace right now. But generally, yeah, you'd be right back at it uh, July 2nd. So that's a good observation. I played a clip in the first half hour of the show, and I and I, I think I play it every either June 30th if there's no show on Canada Day. I usually have an inside sports on Canada Day because that's uh, NHL Free Agency Day, which it won't be tomorrow. So I played the, the Donovan Bailey race in 1996, Don Whitman calling it on CBC. From a non-hockey standpoint, that is, well, I mean, that's in my top three 
Canadian international sports moment, hockey or not. Certainly the Crosby goal, the Lemieux goal, and, and Donovan Bailey. Like those are the the gold standard for me. From uh, you know, Bailey and, over like let's say Mike Weir. Yeah, I, 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 and I loved seeing Weir win. Weir would be in my top five, but I'd give Bailey the edge. And I was talking about this earlier because, uh, you know, the rivalry with the States, losing the gold medal, Ben Johnson on the positive test in 88, and then Lewis gets it. And then Bailey doesn't just win. He sets the world record, and it's, and it's on American soil. So from you having been in the U.S. for that, was that a was that a crushing defeat, or was it like, you know what, we we win so many medals as Americans anyway? Okay, once in a while we're going to lose the hundred. Like, what was that? Well, how was that Bailey victory perceived, and the subsequent relay win a week later? Uh, to be honest with you, it it wasn't that big of a deal, and and here's why. I think the stench from the fact that eighty eight and ninety two. You know, by then, you had basically everyone from 88. And when when was Bailey? Was Bailey? Bailey had some sort of implication, did he not, at some point? Not not pre-96, but post-96? Uh, I don't remember that he did. I mean, Bruni Surin was... In other words, is he completely clear? See, the thing with track and field, especially with the 88 race and even 92, when I believe Linford Christie won, and and later, you know, he he had was suspended. The thing about it was, is the hundred meter dash. What what brought the hundred meter dash back was Usain Bolt. It, you know, from a state's perspective, and it had nothing to do with Americans being in the race because there was a certain amount of disgust with what what went on in in eighty eight ninety two. I mean, there were so many. I, I think the Americans. Did they not have Dennis Mitchell, who'd been disgraced yep. by then, and he was he was thought to be well, maybe here's a clean successor, and I think he got into the problems in the mid '90s. To be honest with you, at that point, the hundred meter dash had kind of had, had kind of you know been been pushed into the rearview mirror, and they were looking more and and geez, oh gosh, I'm, I'm forgetting the guy, the American who won the two hundred and the four hundred. That became the guy. Uh, Dennis uh, Johnson, no, it wasn't right? Dennis. Uh, oh my gosh, I can't. Oh, Michael it. Johnson. Michael Johnson. Thank yeah, Michael Johnson. Yeah, sorry, Dennis Johnson was a basketball player. Yeah, Dennis John- DJ was the uh, standout for the Sonics and the Celtics, but uh, but Michael Johnson. You know, Michael Johnson was that next star, and you know, it being on American soil, as you said. They didn't really have a, a huge favorite in the hundred, and so there was a lot of focus on him. And I think, as I recall, he broke both Olympic and world records in the two hundred and four hundred. So for that one year, Reed, it it kind of was not a big deal on American soil, and certainly not, you know. Again, and you and I have talked about this before. Coming from the states, I was I was really taken back when I got here about how Canada perceived. You know, America's a real rival because I never grew up, uh, you know, when it came to Olympic competition, looking at Canadians as a rival. They were always kind of like, well, if America can't win, I'd love to see Canada win because you certainly don't want to see Russia or East Germany. (laughs) And that's that's the environment I was raised in. I didn't look at America-Canada as a as a vicious rivalry did they not meet in the 84 canada cup final like for me that was almost like a friendly you know what i mean it wasn't 
Americans have a different feeling about Canada than Canadians do about America, is what I'm trying to say. I, I, I think there's, there's not any sort of hostility directed north. It, it's there is some there is some and you know maybe the, the political climate is a part of that directed south canada uh usa for hockey wise 96 world cup final. sorry 96 the, that's yeah. the yeah that's the one yeah. i'm that's the one i'm thinking of yeah, yeah. 96 yeah that's interesting and, and and but but see that's that's the thing i mean the the united states is so dominant in a lot of sports that countries like Canada would want to say, well, even if we can just steal a couple of events, we, we've taken down the big guy, right? I yeah, think that's I, why I, the rivalry was, went in one direction. I was raised in anything other than red, right? Any, meaning anything other than CCP. I mean, that's that's honestly the, you know, I was a, I, I guess I was a Cold War baby, right? Like that's, yep. you know... I mean, I, I was I was raised where you really didn't like the Soviet Union, and and Canada was, uh, you know, I I have to say that in the states when you grow up, it is a bit of a Simpsons mentality where Canada is perceived as America Junior, and and really the cities in which I was most familiar prior moving to Edmonton, Reed, were think about it, Victoria, Vancouver, Toronto, kind of cities that. I don't consider to be, I mean, people would uh, people would probably want to strike me down for saying this, but I don't consider Toronto to be like a real hardcore Canadian city. To me, it's, but when you get into Edmonton, then you feel a difference. Then you feel like I'm living in Canada. I'm living in a different country. And that's one of the things I like about Edmonton is it doesn't feel like a border city. It, it, it has its own identity. And so when you're an American growing up with that kind of, America junior mentality and that the, and that there isn't much of a difference between the two countries and the only cities you really have a lot of experience with are border cities which to me feel like very close to American cities that's why that's why I like living here that's why I like living in Edmonton is because there is no confusion I, I'm living in Canada I'm living in a city that has uh, you know very much its own identity and another reason to kind of root for a good result tomorrow if indeed that's the day where we get the news yeah, well, and a lot of great people that, you work with here as well, Jack. I don't know what that was. That was a long wind. No, no, that was that was great. And another and another reason for you to love working and living here are some of the people you get to work with. Well, I'll cut it off there, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I figured you'd leave it on that note, Reed. I figured you'd work it back to you. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, buddy. All right, take care. That is the one and only uh, Jack Michaels. Always a pleasure. Play-by-play voice for the Oilers on the Oilers Radio Network and here on 6.30 Chet. It is 6.53. He always puts a smile on my face. We're back after the break. Jovi. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630. Chad, so the latest on the uh, NHL, which has been an ever-changing situation when it comes to the hub cities, is that it appears that 
Vegas has uh, dropped back in the race to be a hub, and uh, we are now looking at Edmonton and Toronto as being one two. Of course, this could change as uh, as we go along, but the Edmonton bid, uh, you know, has been pretty pretty strong all along. Edmonton helped by its low COVID numbers. Uh, people at OEG and with the city and the province continuing to work on it. Look, I don't know what the timeline is going to be. I've done the last four or five shows expecting I might be talking about a Hub City announcement. We're not there yet, <laughs> but they're going to have to name them at some point. And uh, I, I think they're they're getting pretty close, especially as, uh, you know, Vancouver obviously have dropped out and Vegas appearing to drop back. We'll discuss this more with John Shannon coming up between 7 and 7.30. Also, the latest on the Brick Invitational which had to be canceled this year, always happens around this time of year at West Edmonton Mall. We'll uh, look ahead at the future of that tournament. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.